0: Good morning, everyone. Bible reading will be taken from Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. After reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and we respond with, thanks be to God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father. We, thank, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the, love, the, from the hope started off for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing amongst you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learnt it from Ephesus, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has, who, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Yetunde. and good morning, everyone. Morning. Um, Special welcome to anyone who's with us for the first time. We're really glad to have you here. And you've come at a good time, because we are starting a new series, a new sermon series. We've been doing we did a short one uh, to begin the year, but now we're about to delve into a longer one, because we are going into the entire book of Colossians. And we've titled this um, uh, series, rooted and built up, rooted and built up. If you go to Colossians chapter 2, you'll see where that's taken from. So we we're welcome, we're wel- welcome you. Thank you for coming. Um, thinking about the book of Colossians, um, I'm reminded of the old saying. I'm sure we all know it. It says that uh, variety, is variety is what the spice of life. And who doesn't want spice in their life? You know, I mean, spice is really important. In the old, in the, if you don't have spice, you know if you don't have spice in your life, you know what that is? That's equivalent to eating British food. Who has eaten British food before? It's a sorry thing to do. Like, it's horrible. Just take fish and chips, nothing else. And you see somebody eat oh, The best thing you can do is add vinegar into it. When you're adding vinegar to make something taste good, you know you have a problem. You know, we all like variety. I, I, you know me, I love my Igbo brothers. Um, one of the things I love about them is, you know, we Yorubas, uh, I, let me, let me, you know, when it comes to soup, really, there's no, there's no 4 um, Even the last self, you know, the okra, you have to now mix it with stew. You know, now we love it, and we Yorubas know how we can keep taking it every single day of the week. But when it comes to Igbos, it's just one word that that then it has so many tributaries. <laughs> Ofe, Ofe everything, Ofe sala, Ofe weary, yeah. Oh you know Ofe bati bati everything. <laughs> because variety is the spice of life. Even now, you know, I remember growing up. When it comes to cereals, you know there was just one. Coffee. Eh? Nasco. Coffee wasn't just conflicts, Nasco. Nasco. <laughs> right? But now. You have Kellogg's. Kellogg's self, they wouldn't even give you one. They will have the conflicts. Then they will have the Frosties. So even the conflicts is, you know. Then you have Cocoa Pops. You have Rice Krispies, which is really Cocoa uh, Rice. Cocoa Pops is Rice Krispies. You just painted it with brown. Uh, you don't understand. <laughs> Variety, the spice of life. And you see that's sort of what was there in 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 the city of uh, Colossi. Colossi was in the province of asia minor uh, in the region of phrygia in the roman empire and it was located around a major well, a major like highway intersection highway so what that meant is that a lot of people there was a lot of mobility in and through that place and because of that there was a lot of um, diversity different kinds of people were living in that city so it wasn't a major city but it was a very diverse city it became a cosmopolitan city And because of the different people, the variety of people that came around there, there were also exchange not just exchange of goods and services, but exchange of ideas, exchange of philosophies, exchange of different religions. And as Christianity was coming up at that time, you also started to have different kinds of Christianity. You see, Lagos also is a lot larger than than Colossi. Lagos is a very cosmopolitan city. Different tribes, different. The reason why a Yoruba man like me can know about those soups is because as people come from the different regions, they come with their culture. And also, we do have a lot of ideas, a lot of religions, a lot of different forms of Christianity. See, many of us base our lives on fresh. Some people like, eh, that's what they used to do in those days. This is 2019. We're in the 20th century. So we like to base our, our lives on fresh and new ideas. You don't like the way Christianity was done before. You now like this new brand of Christianity. We call ourselves modern-day Christians. And in that regard, religion and Christianity here is like going to ShopRite or like going for an a carte buffet, you know, why won't you want that? Because variety is the spice of life, and all of us want spice, don't we? So let's have spice in our religion, in our Christianity. <laughs> not quite. Uh, <laughs> it's not always good, because even though we do like we see that diver- the diversity brings and variety brings um, riches and it brings a whole new experience. It's not everything we like to apply it to. For instance, um, I've been married to one woman for some years now. Um, in terms of marriage, variety is not the spice of life. I, I, I think who thinks that variety is spice of life in marriage, don't raise up your hand. Nothing will happen to you, I promise. <laughs> we will not be practicing any exorcism, no casting out of any demon. We <laughs> say that uh, there's something inside you is called legion. <laughs> there are so many. So on the one hand, we have we like variety being applied in some places, but in some other places it isn't the best thing. And so Paul writes this letter because he understands that there has uh, some variety has started to come in terms of the core core of the Christian faith. In fact, he says it in in Colossians 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So Paul is writing this letter to warn them. However, he does so, he warns them by encouraging them. What do I mean? Rather than make too much noise about what the false religious peddlers were saying, you know what he decided to do? He decided to go deeper into the gospel that they heard from the beginning. You see, if we are to be an imperfect but faithful church, made up of imperfect but faithful people, with imperfect but faithful relationships, then we must do as Paul does here. You see, though sometimes we must make the contrast and warn people about what is wrong, there's a time for that. Let us spend more time explaining and reminding ourselves of what is right. You see, Paul shows us how to do that. How does he do it? He exalts Jesus in the true gospel and encourages us to dig, our, to dig our roots in and build up our lives upon him. That's what the book is about, and I hope that's what this series will be about. You see, every book in the Bible, every six, six book of the Bible, eventually points to Jesus Christ. All of them are about Jesus. However, there are some books that are more explicitly about Jesus Christ. And I think after the Gospels, which you know (laughs) is right there, there is no book that is more explicitly more Christ-centered than the book of Colossians. So I'm excited about this series. We're going to go all the way to the beginning of um, July, and I'm sure the Lord will help us. Now, uh, just thinking about today's sermon, um, if I ask the question, what do we want to be known for? What do we want to be known for? You see, in a time of confusion, of why the church exists, it's little wonder that we also get confused as to what the church should be famous for. Today, if you want to be famous, some churches are famous for buildings. Some churches are famous for their wealth, for their celebrity attendees, for the size, for the first lady's dress sense. But Paul, at the very beginning of this letter, he teaches us, what we should be famous for. And he does so by commending this church on certain things. So I want us to consider that today. And that's why we titled this sermon, Famous for the Right Reasons. Famous for the Right Reasons. And we're going to look at it in three, on three headings. One, the object of their fame. Two, the origins of their fame. And three, the sustenance of their fame. The object of their fame, the origins of their fame, and the sustenance of their fame. So let's take the first point. The object of their fame. Now, I don't know if you've ever been noticed by someone famous. When I say noticed, not like if you are passing them, they didn't see you. Of course, they're, they're not blind. I mean, like, they noticed you. Someone famous you've always admired noticed you for who you were. It would be like if you're a small business person, you went for a conference, and then Tony Elumelu now told you about how you know, he was so, um, he's so pleased to see how your business has grown. And you say, ah, Tony, me? Or it would be like if you've been fighting for human rights as a lawyer for a long time, and one day in court, Femi Falano calls you and says, man, you are so bold and you are so courageous. You are so encouraging to me. Or it would be like if you are in, um, an up-and-coming artist, and um, one day, Yinka Shunibare comes, and he, he comes to view your work and says he's been inspired by your work for some time now. Has that ever happened to us? <coughs> yeah? no, no, not really. <laughs> OK, I want to prophesy into your life right now. <laughs> but if that happened to us, just imagine how you feel. You see, this Colossian church had Paul write to them. And when Paul told them in verse 3, verse 4, we always thank God, always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of you. When Paul is telling them, look, we have heard of you. In fact, we've been praying about you. How do you think these people felt? It's something very similar because, you see, the person that was writing to them was Paul. As it says here in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he was an apostle by an apostle here, and Paul's uh, Paul's own apostleship. And I don't want to get into. You can think of apostles in different in different spheres, but Paul as an apostle meant that he was foundational to the birth of Christianity. Right? The Bible says that the. The the foundations of the the church is built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. Paul was one of those foundational apostles. He wasn't one that walked with Jesus Christ, but he was commissioned by Jesus Christ. He was no ordinary man. He was a foundational apostle. He was a brilliant apostle. But more than that, more than Peter, James, and all of these people, you know why these guys will have been particularly moved? Paul was their apostle. By their apostle, if you read Romans 13, verse 11, Paul says this, I am talking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry. The other apostles were Jewish, Paul is also Jewish, but they spent most of their time, they camped in Jerusalem. Most of their ministry was in Jerusalem and Judea. But Paul had this special calling, he felt, to bring the Gentiles into the people of God where they had always been excluded from. So here was this guy that was fighting for them to say, these people also belong here. Not only was he this great person, but he was this person that cared about them. So when Colossi got a letter from uh, from Paul, they would have been totally surprised that he knew them. You see, he wasn't. Colossi, as I said, was not a very major city. If you are talking about the major cities in the region, the Abuja of that of Asia Minor is uh, Pergamon. The um, Lagos of uh, of uh, of Asia Minor was Ephesus. Colossi was neither of them. Colosse was like. No, mother Keke is ah uh-uh, no. Don't insult, don't insult Colossi. Uh, 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 did I? Who said? Jebu? Did anybody say Jebu? Did you see we are doing church membership? There's going to be church discipline with it. You won't say Jebu again. Of course not. Like Ilori, for instance. Where's Where's Emmanuel? Sharon, uh, you're uh, there, all right? So Colossi, they're like, why would Paul? Why would Paul write to us? They were deeply moved because here's the point. They didn't expect to be famous. They didn't expect to be famous. <sighs> Though a lot of us don't have what it takes to be famous, we, we, most of the time, we want it. You know, we may not have a platform, but we know what it is. That rush, when you send that post, and you just send it, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just declaring, I just put quotes there. There's nothing. I'm only doing it for people. You quickly go back. Who has liked it? (laughs) (laughs) Or you put it overnight. And in your dreams, you are waiting. Okay, I'll give it like 10 hours. You put it on. Two likes. (laughs) What's even there? So, who's even doing it? I'm not doing it for popularity's sake. You know the rush of another retweet. You know the rush of being tagged. Because we value, you see, the fame is something that draws us. Another follower. That day when you find your, your, your followers, the number of your followers finally exceeds the number of the people they are following. Some of us are still waiting for that time. Don't worry. Don't it, tarry. Wait for it. <laughs> it's such a, a big thing. Fame has an allure. Why? Because through fame, we are trying to read something else. The more famous we are, we feel the more valued we are. You see, we feel that the more we are recognized, the more we are valued. The more we are valued, the more we are somebody. And when you are somebody, you are not a nobody. Because no one wants to be a nobody. And this is not just something that happens to non-Christians. Really, Christians is a big thing. We want to be famous, and we are inspired. It's the people that are famous that really inspire us. There's a, 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 a consultancy firm called the Order Consultancy. And sometimes, I think they're about to do that, now. they do this report. They call it the state of the church. The state of the church is, is a survey of, of, of things um, or that have to do with Christianity, mainly towards Pentecostal Christianity. But they released a report in 2016. And they asked people, Christians, in the southwest region, those who, Christians who, who, most influence their lives. Right? So they're Christians. The people that should most influence their life should be spiritual leaders. Mm-mm. Pastors came in at fourth. You know who are third? Business moguls. You know who are second? Bloggers. You know who is first? Entertainers. Right? You follow those who you want to be like. For Christians, they are the number one people that influence them. Because when we look at them, we feel that this person is somebody, this person is valued, and I want to be like this person. Now, the problem for, of seeking, and maybe I'll, I will take this slide up, uh, the problem of seeking fame for itself, problem of seeking fame for itself or for you know, that where you search for your value, I want to just rush through three things. Three things, and it, it goes really in progression. The first is addiction. The addiction is, faith is, fame, seeking fame for itself is like a drug that never satisfies. Just never satisfies, like a narcotic drug. In fact, it never satisfies you. What it does is that it increases your appetite for more of it. So you take it. When you take it, let's say your capacity, uh, let's say what the emptiness in your life was two liters. So you take two liters of fame. You know what it does? All of a sudden it becomes four liters. Then you take four liters. All of a sudden it becomes eight liters. You have a four liter deficit. It never, ever stops. You always have to, many people that are famous always have to keep reasserting the fact that they are famous. Do you know who I am? Nigerian thing. I went to a, a, a massive church a few years ago, uh, not too far from here. All right, and the pastor was preaching. Famous pastor, not even. famous pastor. Everybody knows. Pastor was preaching, and all of a sudden just stops. Like, yeah, and like ah, honourable, you are here. And I honour, ah, you know, said this honourable. I prayed for him, da da da, da and he became. um, um uh, He got into the house of rep. Anytime I go to Abuja, though he's an honourable now. He always has to drive me. He hasn't forgotten where he started from. Like, you don't have to. I mean, we. Look at, look at the size of your church. Look at the size of the ministry. We know. <laughs> but it's not enough. It's an addiction. When somebody passes you by that doesn't know you, or they treat you like, uh-uh, it's like a drug. You keep going back for more. And then the next step with that is that it's called consumption. At this point, it's no longer like a drug. It's not like a cancer. What's cancer? What does cancer really do, just at the basic level? It feeds on your cells. It's as though you start feeding fame at first. You are feeding it with, you know, I have to work hard. I have to be good at what I do so that I can have this fame. But after a while, it's not that you feed it. It starts to feed upon you. Now you have no control of your time. Now you have no control of the people who are demanding for you. It feeds on you, feeds on you, feeds on you. You are totally lost. You are no longer in control of your life. And then the last stage, obviously, is destruction. I can't tell you about the number of people, the many people. I'm sure some of us have heard of the club of 27, right? Famous people, the last of which was Amy Winehouse, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison. All of these people that died before the age of 27 because they, they didn't know how to deal with the enormous fame. You see, the I-me focus of fame for itself, fame for itself or fame for value, it focuses so much on you that it starts to destroy both you and your relationships. It ends people's, why do you think a lot of people in Hollywood just get divorced? It's now happening in Hollywood. People's relationships are, are, are broken. Their friendships are broken. Say, I don't, I don't know this person. I don't really understand this person again. He's a different person. But then it also has psychological effects on you. And for some people, it's really, it's both destroyed their talent and their lives. But what were these people in Colossae famous for? Because they weren't just looking for fame, obviously. As a church, what were they famous for? Well, Paul tells us. He says, we have heard... Verse 4, of your faith in Christ and of the love you have for all God's people. Faith and love. Faith in Christ and love for God's people. That is, individually, their faith in Christ was unflinching in the place, in the, in, in the, uh, uh, when tempted and faced with trials. Unflinching faith in Christ when tempted and faced with trials. Like, Jesus tells the story about the seed that is thrown. The soil goes and throws a seed. And two places that it goes, it goes, one, to the, um, the, the wayside, right, where it, uh, am, I, am I correct? No, the stony ground. The stony ground where there's a little bit of soil. It sprouts, but when the sun came up, what happened? It's just, you know, it destroyed the, the, the wheat plants. And he says, look, that is like those who hear the word, in some way, believe it, but it shows that it really didn't take root in their hearts. Why? Because when suffering came on account of the world, of the word, they fell away. These people had faith, in their faith was unflinching, in the place, in the face of suffering. But he also says that there was another seed that was thrown around, around the thorny, um, uh, um, uh, what? So, uh, yeah, thorny ground, right? And so what happened was, it was as though they believed, the thing started to grow. But then, as the plant started to grow, it became squashed by the thorns. And he said, that is like those who follow for a while, but because of the temptations of this world, the cares of this world, or the cares, riches, and all of those things, eventually they fall away. But their faith stayed in the midst of trials and temptations. But you see, it wasn't just their vertical relationship with God. It was also their horizontal relationship with one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second great commandment is like unto it because they are connected. Love your neighbor as yourself. John says, How can you love God that you have not seen and you hate your brother that you can see? They're always connected. Faith in Christ and their love for all of God's people. And that love also is tested. Paul is saying this. I have heard about you guys. Not that you have a fantastic building. Not that you guys are so huge. Not like those things are wrong. I'm not saying those things are wrong. But he's saying, look, these people are famous for what they should be famous for. You see, the thing about these guys is that they just went about being good Christians. And they were not thinking about being famous. They went about doing what Christians ought to do And God gave them notoriety with it. Let us go about doing what we are meant to do. Well, if notoriety comes with it, great. If notoriety doesn't come with it, great. (laughs) Because we are not called to fame. We are called to faith in Christ and love for all of God's people. Second, the origins of their fame. The origins of their fame. Now, let's think about how this thing started. I want us to go a little bit uh, further backwards for this church. How did all these things start? Now, remember, Paul wrote to them. But Paul did not start this church. Paul didn't start this church. In fact, it was, that honor goes to a guy called Epaphras. See in verse 7. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit? So these things about this church was told to Paul by Epaphras. In fact, by the time you go to the end of the book, in chapter 4, verse 12, it shows that Epaphras was still, you know, he was still um, wrestling in prayer for them. Epaphras who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God mature, fully assured. Now, Epaphras is with Paul now. But at some point, he planted this church. Why did he plant this church? What um, brought it about? Now, I want to say that I think the reason he planted this church was his connection to Paul on the one hand, and then Paul, who was moved by the Spirit to go and plant churches, was also a strategic thinker. I'll say that again. Paul, who was moved by the Spirit, was also a strategic thinker. This is how this church came into being. Now notice what in verse, in verse 6, uh, the second part of verse 6, what Paul says to them. He says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. When he says throughout the whole world, he means throughout the whole Roman Empire, the whole Roman world. This gospel is bearing fruit. Now, Paul was, and I'll soon take us through the book of Acts, he was commissioned, remember I said, as an apostle to the Gentiles. That meant he wanted to see the gospel spread in this Roman Empire. How did he do it? Well, I think not only was he moved by the Spirit, Paul was a master strategist. Paul was using the I, we, them formula. Remember? I, faith in Christ. Second, them. Them love for all God's people. Third, uh, sorry, we love for all God's people. And then third, the gospel is spreading them. Now, I think what Paul then did was, I mean, I, I used to like mathematics, so I'll give you an equation that Paul used that to enable the gospel spread equation. All right? Let's put it up. Right? Um, location plus faithfulness plus leadership development plus church planting equals gospel spread. Open your books, uh, your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. I'm just going to run through about three or four verses in Acts and see what Paul did. Now, Paul spent um, um, a lot of his time in the church in Antioch. Church in Antioch. And at some point, after teaching there for a while, Barnabas took him there. Barnabas was an older man. He took Paul there. Paul was from a place called. uh, Tassels. And then after spending some time, one day they were all praying. The leaders in the church in Antioch were praying. Acts 13 verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So now this was the beginning of the commission for them to go into the whole Roman world. And he was specifically called to the Gentiles. If you go to chapter 8, verse 46, it says, Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you, that's Jews, to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Now this is the birth of what has been traditionally called Paul's missionary journeys. Paul's missionary journeys, where? He felt this commission by the Holy Spirit to go to the Gentile world. Gentiles were non-Jews. To go to the Gentile world to preach this, the fulfillment of this message, this new message about Jesus Christ. Now, so he goes there. And maybe we should bring up this map. Can we have the map there? And you go to Acts eighteen verse twenty-three. After doing two of those journeys, uh, these missionary journeys, we come to the third one. The beginning of the third one in Acts eighteen verse twenty-three. In Acts eighteen verse twenty-three, it says, "After spending time in Antioch, after spending time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples." Now think about it. Here's where Antioch is. Antioch is in the province of Syria. So the Roman Empire has different provinces: Syria, Cappadocia, you know, Macedonia, Achaia. Macedonia is where Philippi is, Achaia is where Corinth is. And then there's Asia Minor. Those are the provinces, right? In each province, you have a region. So, like in Asia Minor, there's a region here called Phrygia. So Paul wants to start this journey. Now he says that he's going to Asia, he's going to from Antioch. But he strengthens, he touches some of the churches that he had planted in the first and second missionary journeys. So he plants them, he leaves them, he sets up a leadership there. But now, on trying to plant new churches, he's going to touch the ones that he has gone to. And he's going all the way to Ephesus, verse 1 of chapter 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, up there, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Ephesus is here, around the coast. Notice, he went through, he got to Laodicea, and then he went to Ephesus here. Pergamum, the Abuja, is here, as I said. Just like Abuja, it doesn't have any beach. Ephesus has a beach, but we'll leave that side there. I'm sure it was a very horrible place to live in. Okay, so um, but he gets to Ephesus, but notice where he skips around Laodicea. Can you see? You guys can see there. Oh, I'm sorry, you can't see. This is Laodicea. This is Colossae. He actually does not go to Colossae. And that's really important. So why and how is this church planted? We know it's by Epaphras. But how does that happen? Now, Paul is thinking, and there's part of the, the strategy, Ephesus is the most important, I said. is the commercial center of Asia Minor. Is the cultural center of Asia Minor. But it's the religious center. In Ephesus, you had something called the uh, Temple of Artemis, one of the seven great ancient wonders of the world, right? It was a magnificent, I don't know if you've seen what they call the Greek Parthenon. The Parthenon is Greek, whatever. Well, it was seven times the size of of the Parthenon. It was massive, a huge attraction. It was a place where it was a shipping uh, port because it was around the coast. So it was a major city. So Paul says, well, I'm not going to go and plant in Colossae as I'm starting. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the main city in this Asia Minor. And the strategy was this. Look at verse 8 of chapter 19. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. This is in Ephesus. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all, listen, so that all Jews and Greeks Who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. How is that possible? He's stationed somewhere. How do all of them hear? No, Paul understood. If I go to the major place, the major city where everyone immigrates, and when it's the end of the year, they go back to their hometown, right? They will hear from here, and then they will go to those places. One of those people would have been Epaphras. Epaphras, as we saw in Colossians 4, verse 12, said he's a native of Colossae, one of you. So maybe he was doing business. Maybe he was studying. And during this pause, it gets to almost three years, Paul's continuous discussion. He sets up a faithful church in Ephesus, and he's teaching about the word of the Lord there. Somebody hears from there, and then eventually takes it back to his own hometown. And that's how this place was planted. In other words, you see that the location was quite important, but also faithfulness in setting up a church in that location was important. A church that would become famous for faith in Christ and love for God's people when Paul was there in Ephesus. But then, he had a system of leadership development so that if he found people like Epaphras, that he said, Man, this person may be able to do something. Develop him and eventually what does he do? They send them out, church planting. In that way, the gospel was spreading. All the Jews and Greeks in the region of Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord. Now, this verse of scripture is so important to me because this is what I feel that this church can be called to. That is, we are in a coastal city, the largest city in this country, the largest city in the, the, well, in this country, in this continent, really, right? I look at the faces of all the people here and I see people from different parts of the country. If we can be a church that is famous for faith in Christ and love for God's people, in other words, not fame for fame's sake, for fame's sake, but a faithful church, a gospel-centered church. Then maybe if God is pleased, He may be able to use us in this city to see the gospel spread, not just in this city, but in our region and our nation. Amen. I think Paul's example teaches us that we should not, for some of us who are more the spiritual discerning types, there is no need to cause, don't rub Peter to pay Paul as they say, don't divide being moved by the spirit and being strategic. We must not divide intellectual rigor and spiritual discernment. God's spirit gives them both. And we see how he worked through Ephesus' location to reach the other cities in the region. Let's not forget, it's the I, the we, and the them. If we see gospel-centered renewal in our personal lives, as we live in community, then God sends us out on mission. Amen? That's why we like to say, what do we do in this church? What is our mission? To develop a community of worshipers on mission. That takes me to my third point, quickly. Um, The sustenance of their fame. Now, if you've ever studied any um, um, artist or any famous person, especially sports people, sports business people, they'll tell you this. The only um, more difficult thing um, uh, to get into the top, the only thing that's harder uh, than getting to the top is what? Staying at the top. It's always more difficult to stay at the top. We know of one-hit wonders. You know, one-hit wonder, you know, one, you know what a one-hit wonder is? If you listen to, why are people looking at me strange? It's true, some of you are born inside the church, and you only remain the one you Why you, is you you put a song out there, and then nobody hears about again. Who you again? has heard of Rick Astley? Who knows Rick Astley? Never going to give you up. Uh-huh. Some of them are raising up their hand in shame. All right. He sang one song. It blew over the whole world. Nobody knows any other song that he sang. There are many people like that. In fact, there are many gospel uh, artists in Nigeria like that. I'm telling you the truth. I'll hear one song, I'll be like, I'm sure that's Frank Edwards. No, they'll say it's one Boyoyo um, or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, the names just keep changing. i am like, ah, where is this? There's one hit wonder. Because it's very easy. It's not very easy. It's, it's somewhat easier to get to the top than to stay at the top. Take, for instance, somebody um, like um, uh, Usain Bolt, right? It took him, look at Usain Bolt, comes on the scene in 2008, and the only major race that he ever lost, he lost when? 2017. Do you think it was just raw talent? No. So when we judge people, when we the people we really respect, if somebody does something, you know, and it gets to the top, we may say it's luck. But when you have longevity of fame, then we say, ah, oh, this person works hard, this person... Um, um, is talent. This person is talented, but the person works hard. The person develops themselves. Longevity of your fame becomes absolutely crucial. So how is that sustained? Well, I think it's sustained by the source of the fame. There's the object of the fame. Why is this person famous? Why was Usain Bolt famous? Because of his sprinting abilities, right? But what was the source of Usain Bolt's fame? Well, the source of his fame would be a combination of his talent, his training, his physical condition. But even Usain Bolt, even Usain Bolt, the source of his fame had a time limit. Even he knew he couldn't go on. It was a remarkable run. But even the source of his own fame had limits. And here's the question. Is there a way to sustain this thing? To continually sustain it. Can this church teach us something about sustenance of their fame? Remember, the object of their fame was what? That they had faith in Christ and love for all God's people. But the source of their fame, look at it in verse 5. What was the source of their fame? The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven about which you have heard already in the true message of the gospel. The object of their fame was faith in Christ and love for God's people, but the thing that supplied that was the heavenly hope contained in the true message of the gospel. Hmm. There's a guy called Michael Ruse, and um, he's a skeptic. I think he echoes something he recently wrote. I think he echoes how a lot of Christians live their lives today. When he said that his philosophy, his philosophy is, quote, to live for the real present, not for a hope future. He said, eh, one day, one day, we'll go to heaven. But man, I want to live heaven here on earth now. Who even knows what's going to happen then? You know, look, I only live by what I can see. If his own philosophy was to live for the real present, not a hope future, the Colossian church's philosophy was to live for the real present in anticipation of a real hope for future. Their faith and love were springing from their hope. You see, this was not only going to secure their faith before Paul, but it was securing their faith before What do I mean by this? Remember, we talked about value. That faith, the uh, fame, ah, fame and faith. (laughs) Fame. The reason why we seek fame, a lot of people, is because we want to get value. What the gospel tells us is that don't seek fame. Discover value. Seeking fame for fame's sake will end you up in irrelevance because its source will run out. But if you go about being faithful to Jesus, he will guarantee you irrelevance. Let me explain this and we'll close there. Paul says something. He says, this hope was contained in the true message of the gospel. In other words, he's saying that there are false messages of the gospel. If you hear a message that is meant to be good news that says faith in Christ is going to make you famous, whether it is materially, spiritually, economically, or financially, health That's not what, because again, many of these people face persecution. No, what Paul is saying is this. Look at the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is that the Son of God, who obviously um, created the world, came into this world. He died infamously. He died as a criminal. He he didn't die for, when he had fame, doing miracles and all of those things, eventually he was crucified as a criminal. He died. God made him infamous. Why? For all the times we sought faith outside of God. He put him on a cross and he died infamously. But in his resurrection, God said, Now God has highly exalted Jesus So that the name of Jesus, every name will by every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Till today, Jesus is the most famous person that we all know in the world. Do you agree? In his resurrection, God made him famous. And here's what God is saying. I first made Jesus infamous for your sins. And I have now made him famous for your eternal existence. What you should seek is value in Jesus Christ that is famous. Don't seek fame for yourself. What you really want from fame is value. But if you seek value in this world, it eventually will run out because the source will run out. But if you seek value eternally, their faith and love sprung from the hope that was coming. If you seek value eternally that only Jesus can give you, you can only get that by seeking that value in Jesus who is famous. You will get eternal relevance when you put your faith in the most famous man on earth, not in yourself. And then after that, your mission is to continue to make Jesus famous for those who have not heard about him. And I hope that's what we can be as a church. I love this Colossian church and I'm excited about what the Lord will teach us about them. But let's learn that from them. Let's discover the value that Jesus gives us. Because no other price can be greater than God to say, I love you so much that I sent my son to die for you. I don't know if there's any one of us here who have not embraced Jesus in that way. He wants to give you something greater than transient faith. He wants to give you value that will have eternal relevance. Why not accept it?
0: Thank you for listening to the gospel in lagos we pray you've been blessed by this message to learn more about city church visit www.citychurchlagos.com city church love jesus love people love lagos